0: For those of you who don't know me, uh, like I said earlier, my name is Jimmy Brock, and I'm a pastor in Southern Virginia Beach. Um, but specifically, I'm a pastor planting a new church there. Uh, we're building up a new church community, and uh, in that, the way, the reason I can be here this morning is we don't yet meet for uh, we don't yet meet for Sunday worship. So we're building up a community through neighborhood Bible studies and community events, um, and we will start meeting for worship on Sundays once uh, that community starts to come together and builds up through those Bible studies as we connect to God and each other. Um, so I would ask you to pray for us. Uh, if you're interested in finding out, more, getting more specific uh, prayer requests and that kind of thing, just let me know and I will add you to our update list uh, for prayers. Also, if you know people who live down in the Southern Virginia Beach area, uh, down Princess Anne, Nemo Parkway. Uh, We've got Nemo Parkway, General Booth, Red Mill, on down into Pungo and all the areas down there. Um, I would love to connect with them, whether they are Christians who are looking for a church, whether they are not Christians who might be interested in connecting with other people in their community and exploring the Bible, whoever they might be. Um, I'm interested in connecting with as many people as possible. And I would love to invite people into connections with others in the community and to connect with God. Um, also, a specific thing you might be interested in either for yourself or your friends, uh, we are putting on a summer sports camp uh, this summer with help from another church uh, out in Chesapeake who is contributing their, uh, teen, their youth group and their summer college interns to help us run a sports camp at Red Wing Park. Uh, the camp's called Summer's Best Two Weeks. I call it a transformative camp experience for grades K to 5. It's a camp that introduces kids to a variety of sports, develops their skills, and teaches them... To compete in a way that honors God and respects their opponents, both in sports and all of life. So that's July 30th to August 3rd. It's called Summer's Best. Two weeks. It's actually only one week, um, and it's from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. There's a story behind that. Happy to tell you more about that later. Uh, but there are these post. I have these postcards with me. I'll put them out across the way if you want to grab one. There's a website and all that kind of stuff as well. So I would love for you to uh, share those, uh, even if you don't have. Kids of that age who are interested for yourself, uh, share them with anybody you know. I would love to invite lots of people into that camp, both for the sake of the kids and for connecting to the community uh, of our growing church. Uh, with that, let's turn to God's Word. Uh, today we'll be looking at First John chapter two, starting at first at verse eighteen. Uh, and as we turn there, I wonder if you've ever had this feeling of doubt, of doubt about what is true about what you believe, about what is right. And if you see other people start, other people have started to question you or other people have started to say other things that you thought were obvious, you thought everybody thought this, and then you hear these questions coming from over here and these people say, no, you're, you're wrong. I don't think that at all. You have these moments of doubt and you need somebody to come and reassure you and say, no, 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 you're right. <laughs> it's okay. That's, that's really what's happening here in this part of the letter from John. John, uh, John, the disciple of Jesus, uh, this is many years later. This is probably about 50 years after Jesus died. And John, now an old man, uh, is writing this letter to the churches in Asia where he had pastored and evangelized and uh, helped get these churches going. And he's writing to them a whole variety of things in this letter. But right here in this section, he's reassuring them that they really do know the truth. It seems that a number of people have recently left their community and said, that, and, and said that the teaching that they had had was wrong, that they were mistaken. And, and the, people, uh, the people of this church are doubting and confused and worried. And John writes to reassure them. And I think that reassurance is good for us today as well. So read with me now 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, not that it might become plain, they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning. Even as you promised us the anointing of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be powerfully present in our hearts and minds now, that we may know your truth and embrace it in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Internet Research Agency. It sounds nice and innocent, but if you follow the news, you may know that it's, it's not so nice and innocent. The Internet Research Agency is, in fact, the group based in Russia that created thousands of fake Facebook and Twitter accounts and managed them uh, both before the 2016 election, and I suspect they're still going. I suspect, but that's, that's part of the problem, isn't it? It's hard to tell. There's a lot of confusion out there because as, as this story has developed and come out and people have been investigating, I just mentioned 2016, 2016. It's now 2018, and there's still news coming out about these people and what they've done because it's hard to untangle. It's hard to figure out. One of the things that they've realized is that uh, these accounts created by the internet research agency were not just random, obvious Facebook troll accounts or bot accounts as they called them on Twitter, automated, automated accounts that retweet things and post things, and they did do some of that, But they also created thousands of very real looking accounts with stolen social security numbers and real names of people in the United States controlled by real people in Russia. And so they acted in in real looking sort of ways. And as this has been investigated and trying to figure out it appears that one of their main goals was simply to sow confusion to confuse people and to amplify the divisions that already exist in our country. We know, that, we know that we have divisions when it comes to talking about politics. We know that we disagree on things, and a lot of that is honestly healthy, is good. There's different ways to do things. There's different ways to seek good and justice in the way we govern ourselves in this country. But then we also know that that can cause a lot of division and a lot of consternation. And sometimes, in fact, a big part of the problem is that we don't even, we don't even know what's true. And thus we get the, the phenomena of fake news. And then we're faced with the question, of, well, what, what is fake news? And who says that this is fake and this is real? And it can feel overwhelming and confusing. And the thing is, this happens not only in the political world, in the world of pu- public discussions, but even in a more important place. This happens in the church too. And we have people, we, we, we think we know, we think we all know, this is what Christians believe, this is what the Bible teaches, this is what I learned growing up in Sunday school. And then people come and say, no, 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 that's not what, that's not what the Bible actually says. The Bible doesn't actually say that Jesus is the only way to know the Father. The Bible doesn't actually say that believing in Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. The Bible doesn't actually say that you have to live like this or live like that. No, you've got to understand it this way, and you've got to look at this part of it and understand the history of it and this and that. And it can get really confusing. And that can lead to divisions, not just among Americans over politics, but divisions among Christians, where Christians can no longer be together, and some people go out. And that's the situation we find ourselves often today in the church, sadly. But it's not a new situation. That's the situation in which John's listeners found themselves. That people had gone out. And they were confused. People were saying things that did not fit with the teaching that they had heard from John and from the other apostles. And they were confused by it and wondering, what should we do? Is this? Have we been wrong? Have we been misunderstanding? Do we need to believe something different? And so what John says here, there, there is some... Now granted, there's some confusing stuff even here. I maybe should have warned you that the first words out of my, my mouth were going to be that you've heard that Antichrist is coming. And then there's a lot of sentences going this way and that. But we'll, we'll work our way through that. That's not, we, we can figure that out. But the big message here, as we, as we get into this and see some of the details of it, the big message that John is giving here is that God protects his own. Yes, there is confusion out there. Yes, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of voices saying a lot of different things that we might not understand everything perfectly. But we don't have to figure it out on our own. Because God protects His own. This is not up to us to figure out all the details. God is working in us. God is working in His people. And God protects His own. That's John's main message here. And as we see that, as we go through this and see the message that God protects His own, there's really just two sides to it. There's two sides of John's message here. The first is that no lie can stand. There are lies out there, but because God protects His own, no lie can stand. They will be found out. And because of that, because no lie can stand and God protects His own, the other side is that we must embrace the truth and we must cling to the truth. John even says we must abide in the truth. So let's see first the lies. What are these lies that John is talking about? John first points to this Antichrist in verse 18. He says it's something that that you've heard about. Children, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. What is he talking about? Antichrist is coming. There was this idea out there and it was a true idea. We find this in other other places in the Bible. We find it in Daniel. We find it in Jesus talking uh, at the end of Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, We find it In uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, this idea is that one day, that that trouble is coming. And they often talk about this kind of vague, shadowy figure. Only here does John specifically get referred to as Antichrist, but other places it's the man of lawlessness or the abomination that causes desolation. This idea of a vague, evil person who will rise in opposition to God. It's a scary thing. Trouble's coming. But what John's point in mentioning that is really to say, hey, yes, this evil force opposed to God is coming, but the Spirit is at work now. Who's that Spirit? He says many antichrists have come. What, what is the Spirit going on? It's the one who opposes God. Why, what are these lies? Why are there lies out there? Because somebody is against God. That's somebody that we call Satan. Who has been working against god from the beginning who has been working even trying to affect the church even trying to prevent people from understanding from following jesus and he's spreading lies he's spreading lies big lies little lies why to sow confusion to confuse people to divide us one from the other to separate us from god that we might not be united that we might not be following god together Satan is out there spreading lies. And so John's kind of saying, hey, yeah, this Antichrist is coming, but, but you, know, you all know you're dealing with it now. You're dealing with trouble now. And John says, I want to reassure you in that. Some of these people are lying. How can you tell? Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So it seems like what what people were saying to this community that John was writing to, people were saying, hey, Jesus, Jesus, ah, Jesus was a nice guy. But maybe he's not all that. Maybe he was just, he was a good teacher, but there's some other knowledge. There's some things you've got to understand, some special knowledge. To connect with God. And we don't know exactly what, there's lots of different theories about exactly what these people might have been saying, but but we see this even today. Jesus, Jesus was a good teacher. He set a good example. You say, no, Jesus, Jesus is the king whom we must obey. Jesus was God himself come to earth. Well, maybe not. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? Is it Maybe maybe when Jesus said he's the son of God, maybe that was just a maybe that was just a figure of speech, an expression that he that was a way of talking about a prophet. And you get the kind of weaseling and ah uh, man, maybe that's not true and there's doubt and you start to wonder. But John says no, that's denying the son. He says that the lie is that it is a lie to say that Jesus is not the son of God. It is a lie to say that Jesus is not the sacrifice for our sins. It is a lie to say that Jesus did not actually rise from the dead. All these things were being said in, day, in John's day. All these things are still being said today. So when you hear people questioning, questioning the truth of Christianity, questioning Jesus' resurrection, questioning that Jesus can forgive our sins, questioning that Jesus had to die that our sins would be forgiven, that there must be punishment for sin, that God is a God of justice who punishes sin and He punished Jesus on the cross for our sins. When people question those things, know that this is not new. Even if it sounds new, even if people say, oh, I've got this great idea, we figured something out. It's not new. It was happening back then too. All these things were being questioned. And John says, these are lies. Sometimes the lies come to the authority. When people say, well, Jesus' teaching, that wasn't really, that's not really true. You know, maybe Jesus was wrong about this, that he said about loving my neighbor. Wrong about what he said about having to forgive other people. Wrong about this, wrong about that. When people are questioning Jesus' teaching, that's denying the Son. And John says that's a lie. And so today, where, where is our truth found? Our truth is found in the book in the Bible, in the words of Jesus written down. Not only the words of Jesus written down, but the words of his apostles written down. That Jesus said he would give the Holy Spirit to his apostles, to men like Paul and Peter and John. And so those words are written down, and we can know that those are for sure, that these are words from God. The words of the prophets in the Old Testament that Jesus referred to and said these were the words of God. So if we deny the truth of the Bible, John says it's a lie. And we do not need, we don't need to listen to it. We should not listen to it. We cannot listen to it. But what's the encouragement here? It's one thing, talking about lies and lies. I don't like talking about lies. That's not fun. That's not encouraging. Where's the encouragement here? Where's the hope? Verse 21, or verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Skipping down the end of verse 23, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John says, hey, no lie can stand. Why? Because God protects His own. And God has protected us. God has protected you. So John is not really writing here to those, to to say, to try to call people back. He's writing to reassure us, to say when we hear these doubts, we hear these questions, we don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have to figure them out because God is protecting us. And so, yes, Satan is out there. The spirit of antichrist, the spirit that is against Christ is out there trying to deceive us, trying to pull us away. But it is no match for the power of God. Last night, my, uh, two of my children were watching one of their favorite movies, um, one of the Harry Potter movies. Not the one that came to mind for this, but I do love Harry Potter. And in the first Harry Potter movie or book, depending on your preference, it happens the same way in both. Harry, the hero, the young wizard, the 12-year-old Harry, at the end of the, the, end of the first book, the end of the first movie, he's gotten, this, he's gotten this stone, the sorcerer's stone that has power to give life. And somehow it's ended up in Harry's pocket. And the evil Lord Voldemort who has been gone for years, but has come back and is controlling one of the professors at the school. The stuttering Professor Carell is being controlled by Lord Voldemort. And somehow, because this is how it always works out, Professor Correll, cor- controlled by the evil Lord Voldemort, finds himself in the same room with Harry. And he's trying to get the stone. And of course, Harry, being a young, immature wizard, has no way to defend himself. He doesn't have any idea what he's doing. And... Correll Voldemort reaches out to grab him if you've seen it do you remember what happens as he goes to touch Harry his hand crumbles and he cannot touch him and then he goes again and his hand crumbles again and then Harry realizes what's going on and Correll just completely crumbles as Harry goes over him because he cannot touch Harry but why why can't he touch Harry Harry goes to the wise Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster afterwards, said, why did that happen? And Dumbledore says, when your mother died to save you, to try to protect you from Lord Voldemort, she put a protection over you, a protection of love that Voldemort knows nothing about. And it is so opposite him that he cannot touch it because that sacrificial love is so powerful. That is the protection that Harry had that protected him time and again From the evil Lord Voldemort and John says that's the protection that we have we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit we have the anointing of God because Jesus himself came and died for us and put his protection on us that Jesus when Jesus died on the cross taking the punishment for our sins and when he rose again from the dead declaring his power over sin and death and Satan said, Satan, you may lie, you may tempt, you may deceive, but my people are mine, and you cannot touch them. And that's what John reassures us of here. That's his message, here. Is back then, it's his message for us today. We cannot be touched. We may not feel it all the time, we may not feel this reality, but we can know the truth that Satan cannot touch us. And we wonder, when we doubt, when we question, when we're unsure, we can be assured that God is protecting us. His anointing is on us and he will give us all truth. He will lead us into understanding. And he will protect us from the lies of Satan. So what does this mean? What does this look like to embrace this protection, to embrace that no lie can stand? We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised by the, by the attacks of Satan. We shouldn't be surprised when some people even are deceived. John tells us that those, whom Jesus has pit, that those whom Jesus called himself cannot be touched. But there are others who have come in among us. Did you see this in verse 19? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and then it might be become plain that they all are not of us. We in the church, we have, we have the truth. We have the truth that's been handed down to us by the words of the apostles and the prophets and has been handed down throughout history. Christians throughout the past 2,000 years believing the exact same things because they were taught by Jesus and they were taught by the prophets and the apostles and they were written down for us. And so when people deny that, when they say that's not really true, I think I have a better idea than what's written in the book. They will go out. They will depart the church. And John says that's tragic. But we should not be surprised. Because there are some that come into the church that are not really part of us. That are not really putting their faith in Jesus. Now he's not talking about, he's not talking about visitors. He's not talking about people who are investigating. There may be some of you who are like, I, I'm not sure about all of this stuff. That's not who John's talking about. If you're not sure about this, if you're checking out, if you're wondering about, John says, that's great. Come and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Read this book for yourself and learn what is there. But for those who have claimed the name of Christ, who have claimed to believe it all, and then they start lying. Then they start walking away from it. John says, "They they weren't us. They weren't us. It's tragic. It's sad. But we should not be surprised. And we should not let it cause us to doubt. We should hold firm to the truth that's here even as people leave and walk away. So don't be surprised when there's controversy. Like I said, if you're not sure about this, if you're just kind of checking it out, you're not sure whether you're a Christian or not, I have to tell you, you shouldn't be surprised that there's controversy within the church, that Christians disagree with each other. John says to expect it. It's other places in the Bible as well. Hold firm to the truth of the Bible. Look to the Bible. Look to what the church has already taught. And don't get distracted by the controversies and the talk. Don't don't read too many blogs. just say that. There's lots of strange ideas out there. But look to the truth of the Bible. Talk to people who have walked with Jesus for a long time. Hear their stories. Listen to them. And see the goodness that is here. Because it's truth. Because God is protecting us. So no lie can stand against us. So what do we do then? If we know this, that no lie can stand, we must embrace the truth. That's what John goes on to say. Verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. Down to verse 27. Uh, But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, just, just to clarify, that doesn't mean that we have nothing to grow in understanding. If John really meant don't listen to anybody, just know the truth in yourself, he wouldn't have written his letter. Saying you don't need a new teaching. You don't need somebody who says they have special knowledge. You need the historic teaching. The truth that the church has always believed another pastor once said to me don't don't feel like you need to say anything new in your sermons if you have a new idea it's probably not true so that this is the, this is who we are this is what it means to be a christian to be part of the church is to believe in a book that was written down a long time ago and a god that says it's still true today we don't need a new teaching we need to learn the old teaching and continue to learn it and continue to understand it and apply it our lives we need to abide in it let what you heard from the beginning abide in you it's not really about figuring it out and and gaining new insights sometimes sometimes there's something that has gotten lost for a while and people recover but it's always a recover even if you if you know your history of the church you'll know that there was this thing back in the 1500s and 1600s called the reformation And it was a time that might have seemed like new teaching, new understanding, that the church had kind of lost its way and there was a reformation of teaching. But the thing is, if you go back and read the writings of the the men we call the Reformers, who were trying to bring the church back to the truth, you'll find that what they say is not, we have a new teaching, we have a new understanding. They say, hey, there was an old teaching. They go back to the writings of of the Apostles of the men who followed the apostles, the ones we call the church fathers in the first and second century. So even when it seems like we've got something new, it's, it's really just going back to what was old, to what has always been believed. Even if individual Christians and individual churches seem to lose their way from time to time, we don't have a new teaching. We just have an old one to embrace and understand and apply to our lives day in and day out. When I went to, I went to seminary, uh, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. Seminary is graduate school for pastors. To be a pastor in our denomination, you have to go to seminary. And uh, wh- when I think about my classes at, semin- at Covenant Seminary, the very first class you take when you get there is Greek. Why Greek? Because the New Testament was written in Greek. So you take Greek. Then you take another class of Greek. Then you take a third class of Greek. And then you take a class of Hebrew. Hebrew. Because the old testament was written in hebrew and another class in hebrew and another class in hebrew and then once you've done all those classes in greek and in hebrew you start taking classes actually in parts of the bible and you take three classes in the new testament even though you've already had three classes in greek three more classes just in the new testament and four more just in the old testament so if i'm adding that up right that's 13 classes just straight to read the bible and then there's six more classes in what we call theology. But really all theology is, is summarizing the Bible and bringing it together. So now we're up to 19. There's only about 30 to 35 classes in this whole seminary curriculum anyway. We're more than halfway there, and it's all about reading the Bible. And you might say, well, isn't there a little bit more to being a pastor than just reading a Bible? Isn't there like counseling and preaching and managing church programs and all these things? And And yes, there is, and sometimes we wish that we had a little bit more training in that. But the reason that our seminary sets things up that way and puts so much emphasis on understanding the Bible is because we know that's what's important. Other things can be learned. Other things we might realize that in our our context today, our culture today, there might be different ways to do counseling or different ways to do church ministry and church programs. But this doesn't change. And so we know that as a pastor, we need to abide in the Bible. We need to abide in God's Word. We need to understand it and study it. And all these classes are not that we can have special knowledge about it, that we can understand it better than anybody else, but simply that we would abide in it. That we would know it deep within us. That when we see lies, when people come in and say, well, what about this? What about that? We say, "That's nope, nope, that's, that's not what it says here. In fact, this says exactly the opposite. That that sounds nice, but it's not here. And this is not just for pastors. John is not writing this just to pastors who have training and that kind of thing. John is writing this to everybody. Abide in the truth. Abide in Jesus and His Word. So what does that mean for us practically? We've got to read it. We've got to read the Bible and read it with a prayerful spirit. And say, Jesus, show me. Show me the truth. Help me to understand. Can you read this book for yourself and understand it? Absolutely. That's what John is promising. He's saying that this book is here. Yes, there may be some things that are hard to understand. Sometimes we drop words like Antichrist and we write sentences that go back and forth and get confusing. But God protects us. God is with us and God will help us understand. So read the book. For some people, that means getting up every morning and reading a little bit. For some people, that's reading at night. For some people, it's in the middle of the day. Some people can't find time to read every day, and they only read some days. Whatever your situation may be, read the book. Read it on your own. Read it with other people. This is why in our, in our new church community, the core structure of our new community is neighborhood Bible studies. They're Bible studies. Yes, there are places for people to come and be connected to one another. We want to see connection and community. Lots of people are lonely and isolated and need that. But where is that community founded? Where can we find solid ground for that? We find it in the Bible. So we're studying Mark, going through it passage by passage, week after week, printing out a few verses at a time, talking about it, and trusting God to help us understand. Because this is how we can stay firm. This is how we can stand. And what has He promised us? Verse 25. This is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. Life forever. Life with Jesus. Life with God. And we can have that even starting now. Yes, there will be pain and suffering. Yes, there will be people trying to deceive us. Yes, there will be people who are led astray. There will be people who leave us. There will be relationships that are broken. Jesus told us all of that. John tells us that here. But he tells us that we have a greater promise. That we don't have to figure it all out on our own. Our goal is not, just to, is not to know the truth, to figure out all the ins and outs. Our goal is to abide in the Word, to abide in Jesus, to let the Word change us. Because that is the promise that takes us to eternal life. We pray with Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. We thank You for the anointing of Your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that You would sink Your Word deep into our hearts, that we may know You and worship You and walk with You. In Jesus' name, amen.